Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn and this is episode number 57. And uh, last week was one year in for the podcast. The podcast turned one uh, last Monday. And so this week what I want to do with you, I just want to reflect on some things, if that's cool with you. Uh, Just a kind of a casual conversation. And uh, I want to share with you some of my takeaways And I think that the takeaways are going to encourage you as well. Like if you're in a season of deconstruction, reconstruction, faith remodeling, whatever fancy terminology that you want to use, uh, I think that my reflections might speak some life and perspective into um, your situation as well. So like a year ago, right, I, I didn't think... I'd be sitting here sharing anything like this with you. Uh, Like I am happy, proud, humbled, all at the same time to say that the What If Project turned one uh, and we crossed over the goal of 10,000 downloads that I set on day one. 10,000 downloads over the course of the last year. And I remember thinking that, you know, 10,000 downloads was kind of ridiculous to tell you the truth. I remember thinking that 5,000 was doable 10,000 seemed far-fetched. Like if I was planning to do like 52 interviews over the course of the year, then yeah, I was confident we could we could hit 10,000 downloads. But my plan was to do only 12 to 15 interviews last year and then do 35 to 40 solo episodes like this one uh, where I share with you just some of my thoughts, you know, just me in the microphone at my desk. And those haunting thoughts were in my head. And like, will people listen to me? Uh, Or will they just tune in to listen to someone smarter than me? Uh, Will the downloads like really spike uh, for an interview and then be like, you know, two, my wife and like my mom for the solo episode, right? Like, is anybody going to listen to me? Uh, Those were the kinds of questions I was wrestling with. And I think I set the goal that high because I figured maybe if we didn't reach the goal, that would somehow be a warped form of like justification for me to ditch the project altogether and just go do something else with my life. But but here we are, a year later, uh, we had 56 episodes, uh, 15 of those were interviews, 10,000 plus downloads from 27 different countries. I mean, how cool is that, that people in 27 different countries are listening to to this thing. I mean, that's pretty wild to me. Uh, we did a series on Mark's gospel. Uh, we had a special uh, series for Advent. We had a series for Lent called God's Not Mad. Um, in the midst of that, I graduated from seminary with my doctorate. Uh, I brought on five special guests over the summer. Found myself at Wild Goose uh, again in July to make more friends, to become apparently an even bigger heretic than I already was. Uh, But one year later, I find myself reflecting a lot. Uh, Highs, lows, things I learned, significant theological shifts that have taken place. Uh, I've gained some new friends. Uh, I've lost some old friends. I've been uh, ghosted by other friends. And and I feel like I have a much, uh, what I would say, clearer picture of where my life is headed, or my calling, or whatever you want to call it, seems to be going. 
And, and so what I want to do today is I, I, no bells and whistles today, you know, no interview, uh, no special music, uh, no talking about Patreon, no trying to get you to sign into our online community uh, on Facebook and join our group there. No, none, none of the stuff today. Uh, none of the stuff. I just want to talk to you a little bit, reflect on some of my uh, biggest takeaways. I made a list of like 30 things. But if I sat here and I, I rambled about all of them, uh, we'd be here for uh, a few hours and then we'd have like probably another series. Uh, so I just picked two. I picked two things. Uh, one thing that I learned about myself and one, what I would say is a significant theological shift that has taken place in my heart. Uh, both of which, as I said earlier, uh, I think will be a considerable amount of help for those of you who maybe feel like you are in a place of uh, deconstruction, reconstruction, faith remodeling, whatever it is that, that you want to call it. Uh, then, just to kind of give you a, a, I don't know, like a sneak peek behind the curtain, uh, the next two weeks we'll be hearing from two different guests. And I don't usually tell you up front who they are, but today I'm going to. So drum roll, please. Uh, we will be talking to, in one week, uh, Mr. Shane Claiborne, and then the following week, uh, Mark Karras. Or maybe I'll flip them. I don't really know. But I think Shane will be next week, and Mark will be the week after that. And then, uh, mid-September, I'm really excited about this. Again, peeking behind the curtain. Uh, we're going to jump into a 10-week series, maybe 11 or 12, but I think it's going to be 10, about the Bible. And, and I'm calling it uh, Setting the Bible Free, where we're going to talk about uh, traditional ways of thinking about the Bible and applying the Bible that treat it like a caged animal as opposed to the wild and subversive text that I think it is. And I'm not going to say much more than just that, but we got some, some guests coming on. And this thing is going to be wild. So as they say, uh, buckle up, buttercup, and get ready to be stretched, challenged, encouraged, and uh, everything in between. So so that to say, again, this is episode 57, and I'm calling it One Year In, Losing My Certainty and Rediscovering the Gospel. And, and so first what I want to do is I want to share with you something that I learned about myself and uh, again, maybe this will help you in your spiritual journey. Uh, I hope it does anyways. Uh, I used to be called what I would say is like the answer guy. Like up until maybe two years ago, I somewhat, probably a lot, uh, prided myself on being able to articulate theology and answer people's questions about God. Like why did Jesus die? Where do people go after they die? Uh, what's the Trinity? I had a series of folders in my computer at one time, and actually literal folders in a filing cabinet before that, where I would save various articles and scanned pages from books that reference different theological topics. And so if you had a question about the Trinity or the cross or heaven or hell, whatever, not only did I have an answer, but I also had a list of 30 books, approved books by me, uh, that would tell you everything that you needed to know. Like, I obsessed over having all of the answers. If there was a question I didn't know, uh, a topic I was not familiar with, I would throw, literally throw myself into researching and reading up on that thing. Like it would consume me. 
Uh, for instance, homosexuality, uh, evolution, the end times, none of those were uh, strong points for me. And so I went through different seasons of my life where I would read up and study as much as I could about those various topics. Uh, and, and from all different angles, mind you, like I wouldn't just read uh, theologically conservative stuff or liberal stuff. Instead, I would read both sides of the spectrum and everything in between. Like homosexuality is not a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Uh, homosexuality is maybe a sin. And everything in between. The end times are coming. End times aren't coming. Evolution is right. Evolution is wrong. And although I usually ended up falling on the more conservative uh, evangelical side, because that's the world I was brought up in, I did my best to read widely and uh, deeply so that I could be as well-read as possible and understand all sides of the different issues. So, like, as you can imagine, having answers became a really important part of my faith and a really important part of my identity. Uh, I saw myself as the answer guy, you know, the theologian in training, the scholar in the making. I even had terms like that in my, my Facebook and Twitter uh, profiles, not so much to toot my horn, but because that's generally how I saw myself. Answers, 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 and more answers. Then, uh, about, I don't know, maybe like two years ago, I headed into this this uh, season of a more public deconstruction slash reconstruction where I began to rethink everything about my faith, uh, Christianity, the Bible, all starting with uh, the nature and the character of God. And to be honest, though, uh, and I've mentioned this in other episodes, I'd been thinking through this stuff uh, for a while, but kind of quietly. And, and I did it quietly because like most people, I didn't know where to bring my questions. Right? I didn't know who would be able to handle them and who would listen to me without telling me what to do or think or believe, who, who would validate what I was asking. And the few safe grounds that I tested, to be honest, with my questions proved to not be very safe um, at all. And so rather than publicly deconstruct and ask these questions, I, I kept them inside of my own heart and mind, and I read up on as many different things as I could. And eventually, though, my brain kind of went on overload, you know, as I realized that all of the answers I had to all of the many questions pertaining to the Christian faith and God and Jesus and theology, I realized that like many of those answers didn't really satisfy the questions I had. And so this arsenal, this war chest of answers I had stored away in the recesses of my brain uh, left me feeling super inadequate. And suddenly I found myself in this place where I didn't really feel like I had a whole lot of answers. And, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but, but just as an example, one of the first questions I, I really began to wrestle with is why did Jesus die? I grew up believing, like probably many of you, uh, that he died because God was mad, right? Like God was good and ticked off about my sin. And someone had to pay for sin. Why? Because God is holy, right? Sin's got to be punished. And so Jesus said, punish me, right? Leave Glenn alone. And so with that, God poured out his anger towards me on Jesus. So that if I believe in all of that, then I go to heaven when I die. And if I don't believe in it, then not only did Jesus get God's wrath towards me, but I'll get God's wrath in the end too for all of eternity as I get thrown into hell, right? Simple, no loose ends, very, very black and white. 
do this, believe this, go there, don't do this, don't do this, and go there. But about two years ago, I remember, and this 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 event is like really clear in my memory, but I remember reading Jordan, uh, my daughter, uh, a children's Bible, and she was an infant at this point, so we were laying on the bed, and she was falling asleep in my arms, and I was reading her this this story. And it was just the story of Jesus. And it was told just like what I just described. Uh, maybe not in you know quite that strong terminology, but that was the general idea that God is mad and Jesus took my punishment and I believe that and I go to the good place. And I distinctly remember you know, thinking to myself, I, I remember pausing maybe three quarters of the way through and I thought to myself, wait a minute, do I really believe this? And if I do, is this is this God that I'm telling reading my daughter about right now? Like, is this God good? Or is this God kind of a monster? Like, isn't a father who would beat his child because of someone else's mistake a little bit psycho? Like, imagine beating the garbage out of your own child, which, by the way, is not good to begin with, but just follow my logic here. Imagine beating your own child, not because of something that your child did, but because of something that your neighbor's kid did. And then to take it a step further, imagine telling your neighbor's kid that the only way he can receive a piece of heavenly bliss chocolate cake that night is if he believed you did all of that for his own good. So that by believing in how good-natured you are and what a good friend your, your kid is who took the beating for him, he might receive a tasty reward. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of crazy talk, right? But if that wasn't the gospel, if that wasn't the good news, if that's not why Jesus died, well, then what gives, right? Like for 35 or so years of my life, that was how I understood God and Jesus in the story of Christianity. I read about, it, read about it in books, heard about it in the classroom, listened to it from pulpits. Heck, I preached it myself from the pulpit. But as I held my infant daughter in my arms that night, and I read this story from her children's Bible, none of it made any sense anymore. Believing in an angry father didn't make any sense as I, a father, looked at my daughter. It was like I saw something, you know, like a glimpse of something that I couldn't unsee in that moment. I felt my internal world of all of these answers uh, and my identity as the answer guy just begin to fall apart piece by piece. Like what kind of father would do this to their child and then demand to be called good? Is this what I want to teach my daughter about, about God? You know, and is this the kind of God that her daddy should try to be like? And so what I learned, all that to say what I learned about myself over this past year is that I've gotten really comfortable really fast with not having all of the answers. Like, yeah, I, I still read more than probably a lot of people. One of the things I'm accused of on this podcast is just coming on here and ram rambling about crap I don't know anything about. But, but that's that's silly. Uh, like this past year alone, I've read over 50 books. 
And I've had the opportunity to interview and talk with a lot of the authors of those books uh, on the What If Project, both on the podcast recording and off the podcast uh, with conversations that were not recorded. I read, I, uh, I studied, and, and I do a lot of research. I've, I've got a bachelor's degree in the Bible. Uh, I've got a master's of divinity degree. I've got a doctorate degree. I'm not the smartest dude in the world, of course, and I certainly am far from a scholar. I'm not a theologian. But when people tell me I don't read or study or know what I'm talking about, uh, yeah, I mean, go bother somebody else, you know? But even so, as much as I, I read and I study, I still find myself with a lot more questions than answers. Like, I struggle to articulate, you know, what what do I believe about God? I've, I have trouble putting words on what I think the gospel is or why I think uh, Jesus died. I often find myself like shrugging my shoulders around a lot of the questions concerning the afterlife, the book of Revelation, you know, heaven, hell, things I used to have, you know, 10 different solid answers for. I now have like, I don't know, negative 10 shaky answers for. Uh, Rather than my faith feeling like this massive concrete building of you know, rock-solid answers, it often feels more like a flimsy house of cards filled with answers that may or may not hold up against the, the questions I fire at them on a regular basis. And that's a weird feeling for the answer guy to have. But again, I find myself growing more and more comfortable with it. And I hope that maybe for somebody listening today that that could relieve a little bit of pressure off of you. Like, it's okay to not have the answer. You know that, right? It's okay not to have the answer. If you're in the midst of a faith uh, shift like I am, and someone demands that you explain to them why you believe A, B, and C, and provide 32 Bible verses for each point you make, it's okay to say no. And it's okay to say, I don't know why I believe this, I just do, so go away. (laughs) Uh, Pete Enns, one of the books I read this past year, he wrote a book called uh, The Sin of Certainty. And the title is really all you need to know. Uh, The sin or the shortcoming or the error, whatever we're going to call it, isn't in not knowing. Rather, it's in thinking you have all of the answers. Thinking that you've tamed God, you've put him in the Bible in shackles. And that you and your 32 verses are the only way to understand God or whatever topic it is about him that might be on the table. It's okay not to know. Just because you don't know the answer to a question, just because you're not solid on your answer, doesn't mean that you are less of a person, less of a Christian, less of a spiritual person, less of a follower of Christ, God, whatever, than someone who thinks that they do know. It's okay not to know. And that leads me into the other thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, the significant theological shift uh, that I've undergone over this last year. And I think this might eventually become its own series, uh, maybe a chapter or two or three in a book, because there's like a lot to unpack here. And the story is a lot deeper than kind of what I'm alluding to in terms of my own experience. But I just want to kind of, I don't know, like dangle us, (laughs) dangle, hold us by our feet and dangle us into the rabbit hole today, just to give us like a little bit of a fresh uh, perspective. So one of the first questions 
that I really began to wrestle with, like I said, is why did Jesus die? We just got done talking about that. And this one really hit me that night when I was reading to Jordan from her, from her Bible. And, and again, I remember, I remember laying my head on the pillow that night. Like I put Jordan to sleep and, uh, Dana and I watched some TV. I think I remember going into my office and, uh, doing some, some journaling, but I remember laying my head on my pillow that night, scared out of my mind. Uh, as I wonder to myself, what's the deal with the cross? Like I've held on to this thing and this way of understanding for years. Why does it feel like it's going down in flames after I read a children's Bible, right? Like, is God that mad? Is God that mad at my sin that he would punish his own son in my place? And, And am I deserving of being nailed to a cross, which was a Roman torture device? And my daughter, Jordan, who's an infant, she's deserving of that too? Good God. Like, and, and is that good? Like, does that make God good? Am I supposed to teach this crap to my daughter? Can this kind of God even be trusted? At first, those questions might make you take a... <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, you might be ready to turn this thing off. Uh, they might make you think I'm some kind of a heretic, and maybe I am. But, but follow me here, right? Let's think about this. The Bible says that God is love, right? And the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And yet I don't see Jesus demanding people's allegiance. And I don't see Jesus threatening to throw people into fire if they don't. And I don't see Jesus being angry or mad or making threats. Like when Jesus left his disciples with the the great commission at the end of Matthew... Him saying, hey guys, you know, go make a religion in my name and force people to believe in me because if they don't, then me and my dad are going to roast them for all of eternity, right? Like that is tops on the list of things that Jesus never freaking said, right? But here was the thing that really got me. And uh, this came to me a little bit later on after that night uh, with Jordan's book. But Jesus demands that I forgive my enemies. Like that's a command, If, however, he is throwing his enemies into hell when they get to the pearly gates, having not believed in him during their time on earth, then apparently he can't do the same. And so this great and amazing God who is so wonderful and who I raise my hands to in worship, who tells me that I must forgive my enemies, he's not willing to forgive his own. What? Right? I guess logically, the whole thing started to crumble for me. When I thought about the, the logic behind why I had been taught that Jesus died and what I had been taught the cross was all about, none of it really made sense to me anymore. And so what did I do? Well, I'm the answer guy, right? And so I, I looked for answers. Uh, I read some books. So first I read uh, Tony Jones's uh, Did God Kill Jesus? And I'm still trying to get him on the podcast. He was going to be coming on earlier for the Glenn's Friends series to talk about this book, uh, but we had to cancel. Some things happened. Uh, but in this book, he talks about like six or seven ways to think about Jesus's death and the cross, all of them which were believed or once believed by uh, various branches of the church. I reread uh, Rob Bell's Love Wins. He also has a companion guide for that book, which most people don't know about, which is uh, stuffed full of um, more resources and more concepts to go along with the book. But I reread that book. 
Uh, then to visit the other end of the spectrum, which people think I sometimes don't do, but I do, uh, I read the book called Parables by uh, John MacArthur, and he gives a very uh, conservative approach to the different uh, parables of Jesus, which talk about heaven, hell, things like that. Uh, I also read an unhealthy amount of uh, John Piper in the Desiring God um, blogs. I read Brian McLaren's A New Kind of Christianity, and uh, man, I was so confused. And I remember sitting here at my desk, and I was so confused that I actually tweeted Brian McLaren. It was like, it was like a last-ditch effort. Somebody who knows something, you got to help me. And I asked him to explain to me why Jesus died. And surprisingly, uh, he tweeted back. And in 140 characters, it really didn't make any sense to me what the heck he was talking about. And so I talked to pastors. I talked to friends. I talked with Dana. I talked with professors. Everybody seemed to have different answers. And nobody's answers really made any sense to me. And so then you know what I did after all of that? I went to God. Like, imagine that, right? Uh, finally, after everything else failed, uh, I went to God. And I remember praying, like, God, you know, I don't understand you, really. You know, for 30 plus years of my life, I was taught and I believed that you were mad at my sin. And so you punished Jesus in my place so that if I believe in him and his work on the cross, I get a slice of the heavenly chocolate pie when I die. And if that's all true, God, I got to say, now that I have my own daughter, you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> like I said that to God. And I'm not too sure I want you in my heart anymore. Like I know I, quote, invited you in uh, multiple times, but am I able to like, am I able to get you evicted? Like I, you know, because to be honest, if you sentence Jesus to death, it was your own son, I'm pretty sure I'm ready to have my membership card revoked. So like, please don't tell me, God, that this is true. Pretty please tell me there's got to be another way to understand this because I'm pretty fragile right now <laughs> and uh, I'm seriously ready to drop you, right? Bold prayer, bold prayer. Uh, I remember telling God that I, I think believing in this kind of angry God is too easy. And I think it's easy because if God is angry, then that gives me justification to be angry too, right? Like if, if God's mad about how the world has wronged him, then that gives me permission to be mad at how the world has wronged me. It makes it okay for me to be mad at my enemies. It makes it okay for me to, to give them an ultimatum to say that I'll forgive my enemies if they'll just fill in the blank, repent, ask for my forgiveness, believe that I am good, tell, them, tell me that they were wrong and all of the things that they did to me. Remember telling God it would be really hard for me. What would be really hard for me is believing that he's not that way at all, that he's not angry, that he doesn't need his wrath appeased, that he, he really has forgiven the whole world, that he has invited all of his enemies to the table. Like that would be hard to believe because that is against my human nature. And believing in that kind of God would require me to make some significant changes to my life in an effort to reflect that God's good nature. Now, I don't think I prayed, I didn't pray all of that stuff like in one sitting. It wasn't like a you know immediate revelation that I had. I would say that this probably took place over the course of a few months and scattered prayers and thoughts here and there. Uh, I wrestled with these questions daily. And at some points, like they kept me up at night as I would lay in bed and I wondered if all of the stuff I'd ever taught 
all of the stuff I was ever taught and whatever taught myself uh, from the pulpit, because it's all a gigantic lie. Right? Like my brain was significantly cramped. And then one day, I remember it, it clicked. And, and I think that God, I think he answered my prayer, really. I, I think he spoke to me uh, very clearly, very vividly, very, very uh, lovingly. And it wasn't so much um, words as it was, I think, like a series of thoughts. But if I had to sum it all up, um, this is what fills my memory. And, and I wrote this down. So I'm going to read it to you. This is uh, as if God were speaking to me as best as my mind can recall all the thoughts that I was having um, and string, string, stringing them like all together. So if you're about to shut off this podcast and you're like, this is this guy is kooky duke, right? Please, please don't. Uh, please uh, hear me out because this answered so many questions for me. And again, although it might not be 100% correct, accurate, and although it doesn't answer all of the questions, although I don't have all of the answers to the questions this will bring up, it has brought me a lot of peace and a lot of perspective. So again, hear me out. Uh, again, this is the string of thoughts that I've had. Put them all together. And this is what I felt like God said to me. Uh, my child, God said, this is your father. This is your mother. Whatever it is that you need me to be, I'm here. I created you. And I infused you with love. Just as I infused everything in the universe with love. I want to thank you for pursuing all of these questions. Thank you for believing that I am better than what you have been taught about me. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus was tortured. Yes, Jesus bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. But no, absolutely not. In no way, shape, or form did I sentence Jesus to death. He didn't die to appease my wrath. He didn't take your punishment. You grew up believing that I was mad at your sin. And so you were taught that I, in essence, killed Jesus or sentenced him to, to die. So that if you'd believe in his sacrifice for your sins, then you would go to heaven when you die. That's a terrible explanation of me. And I'm sorry that you've carried it for 30 years. As backwards as it is, though, I'm sort of happy that you've carried it because now you'll be able to see the wonder and glory of what I'm about to tell you concerning the real reason why Jesus died and what the cross really is all about. I came to earth in the person of Jesus because I wanted to show the world how to live as the human beings I created them to be. I created everything good, remember? Very good, in fact. But what about war and violence and corruption was good? The world that I came into was angry. It was built on a top-down structure or imbalanced power where everyone at the top got a slice of the pie, where everyone at the bottom got crap. The empire was built that way. The temple was built that way. And it was wrong. 100% backwards from how I intended the universe to work. And so I came to earth to show the world how to live. 
I came to demolish the top-down structure. I came to break apart the dichotomies, to bring the top and bottom together as one, to bring in the outcasts, to welcome the enemies, to heal the sick, to restore the broken. But guess what? The world didn't have room for this. This way of life ticked off the empire, and it ticked off the temple leaders, and it ticked off the world. And so humanity killed God. Humanity killed me. Do you see this? This is so important for you to understand. I didn't kill Jesus because I was mad at your sin. Rather, humanity killed Jesus because it was mad at his but then from the cross, what did Jesus do? He didn't shout threats. He didn't shout hate. He didn't hurl insults. Instead, he shouted the hardest thing. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Jesus absorbed the very worst of human sin into himself, the senseless murder of a loving God, he shouted forgiveness for his enemies who never even asked for it. And what happened three days later? He rose from the dead. New life came. New life was birthed, not from revenge, not from hate, not from a top-down power structure, but from love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, all given. Not simply to those who, who asked for it, but more importantly to my enemies, who never asked for it, who never recognized their need for it. You see, the invitation for salvation isn't to believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. Rather, the invitation is for you to live a life on earth that Jesus lived from the cross so that with your words and actions and deeds, you can bring a little more to heaven, of heaven to earth with every breath you take, every move you make. Yeah, I want to save you, but I want to save creation. Every human, every animal, every tree, every stone. The goal isn't to believe the right thing so that you can leave here and get to heaven. Rather, the goal is to live like Christ today and bring heaven to earth right here, right now. That, my child, is what it means to follow Christ. That is what it means to be human. And this is the gospel. Man, it was as if scales you know, fell from, from my eyes. Because all of my life, I thought God was a monster. When in reality, we were the monsters. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes, like, is this, maybe this is what Paul felt like when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The voice from the uh, bright light shouted. I began to wonder, like, how long have I been persecuting God with my belief that he's angry and mean? and full of disgust for humanity. I began to wonder how long I've been shaming his name and living my life and faith and fear that I might cross this angry God in some way. I began to wonder how, how many other people I've led down this false path throughout my own years of teaching and church leadership. Scales fell from my eyes. And even though I don't fully understand it all and likely never will understand it, I haven't really stopped talking about it since. Right, The apostles once said in the book of Acts that they talked about Christ and the gospel and the good news because they couldn't help but talk, quote, about all that they had seen and heard. 
And I feel like that too. Like I can't stop with the podcast. I can't stop with the Facebook posts. You know, some people accuse me of, of using this podcast to merely stir up controversy or answer questions that nobody's asking with provocative answers that I uh, don't adequately care to explain. But that's not true at all. right? Those people obviously don't know me uh, as well as they think that they do. Because the reality is that I, I, I've seen something wonderful. I've seen something beautiful. And regardless of how much I still don't understand it, I can't stop, I won't stop, I can't shut up about the things I've seen and heard. Everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to hear about it. And so, yeah, I'm going to stop there. Like I said, I've got, man, I've got, I got a list of 30,000 different things that I could, uh, I want to share. But those are, are two significant things that I feel like I've, I've really taken away uh, from this past year. It's okay not to know, right? It's okay not to have all the answers. And God didn't kill Jesus because he was mad at my sin, but humanity killed Jesus because we were mad at his love. Completely, I don't know, faith-altering idea for me. Uh, great things on the horizon for this year. Uh, like I said, uh, real quick, we'll be doing a series on the Bible. It's going to run mid-September all the way through early December. And uh, we'll have some really cool guests coming on. Super excited about it. And then after Christmas and New Year's, uh, we're going to be kicking off another long series. And again, I want to I tell you what it is so you can look forward to it. It's called Women's Voices You Need to Hear. Uh, I'm going to be bringing on six, maybe more different women. Uh, to share with us some of their own thoughts about faith in the Bible. And we'll also pepper in a few solo episodes here and there where we take a more progressive look um, at some of the women of the Bible. So uh, those are what I feel are two significant series that are really going to provide some more shape, uh, some more perspective to what we're doing here um, at the What If Project podcast. And I am pumped about it. So uh, all of that to say, my friends, um, again, this is episode number 57 of the podcast, and uh, thanks for dropping by, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.